I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, welcome to Horror versus Reality. I'm your host, Anastasia, and my co-host, Morgan, is here, as always. I'm here after a bunch of technical difficulties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had a little problem starting today. Um, our guest today is the Haunted Outfit, um, or Katie. <laughs> She's got this amazing IG that I found on my private account and briefly talked to her about um, a character from an R.L. Stein Fear Street novel called uh, Reva. <laughs> and uh, then I messaged her on our podcast account and said, you've got to be a guest. And here we are. Hey, everybody. Yeah, Reva is like the coolest and snobbiest character in any book ever written. <laughs> yeah, and she's also a little murderous. Right? <laughs> she's right? murderous? I thought so. You she's murder? She's always getting into shenanigans. Yeah. She's murder adjacent. Murder adjacent. Okay, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> um, I mean, to be fair, I haven't read this book since I was like 12. So, <laughs> and I read all of them in one summer. Like, just ate them up in a frenzy. And, uh, so it's, yeah, so, uh, you know, it's it's easy to get those plots dashed. Because I couldn't even remember what book she was from when I asked her. <laughs> uh, yeah, remind me, what book is she from? <laughs> um, she's from the Silent Night trilogy. So, uh, like, the Christmas right. books. Right. And since she was in three of them, you can see why she really stood out. Plus, she's just an unforgettable character. <laughs> yeah, she's, like, super campy. Definitely, to all of your listeners, read the Silent Night trilogy. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's a great beach read. For sure. Ooh, I've Absolutely. never read this. Morgan, they're super fun. You could read, like, three in an afternoon. They only have, like, 100 pages. <laughs> <laughs> sounds good I'm looking it up they are they're a lot of fun and we'll get more into that at the uh, end part of this discussion part of the episode so today we are talking about 2006's The Black Dahlia versus The Black Dahlia <laughs> <laughs> um, now I should say that there is another Black Dahlia movie that came out um, around the same time. Oh, actually, literally the same year that this one came out. Oh, really? Yes. And it's actually a horror film. But here's the reason why we did this one over that one. That one's plot is three guys 
go on a killing spree recreating the Black Dahlia crimes. Oh. And this movie actually has recreated footage of Elizabeth Short's acting reels. And uh, the actress who played her, Mia Kirshner, is actually really great. Um, So this was just the obvious option. Also, this will be more accessible to people just because it's got really famous people, like a really famous cast. And the other one is, you know... It looks shitty. I'm just going to be real. It doesn't have good reviews. <laughs> <laughs> it does not have great reviews. I mean, to be fair, the one that we're about to talk about also does not have great reviews. Uh, the, I hated it. Sorry. I hated <laughs> I'm it. just going to say it right off the bat. I hated it. I did too, Morgan. Okay, uh, good. Yeah. Uh, it was boring. It was so boring. and st- It was just so many different plot lines going around. Yeah, it's boring, and you guys should know that it's based off of a neo-noir novel from 87 called The Black Dahlia, written by James Elroy. So it's not like it's an adaptation of what happened to her murder-wise. It literally just shoehorns her murder into the story as a plot device, mostly. And I think that's like... A slap in the, f- the face to poor Elizabeth Short. Yeah. Like, I agree. she is not a plot device. She was a, like, horrible murder victim. I mean, uh, Morgan, you'll get into what happened to her <laughs> Yeah, in a minute. But, uh, yeah, I just, you know, I want better from you, Scarlett Johansson. Yes. You know? And you, Aaron Eckhart, I saw Thank You for Smoking. You were also good as Two Face. <laughs> I love Thank You for Smoking. It's, it's a, a great movie. movie, right? Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to go through the full cast. Um, so 2006's The Black Dahlia is directed by Brian De Palma, who is honestly kind of a, a horror uh, director. I mean, he definitely went on to do bigger and better things. But he's known for movies like Sisters. Um, trying to think of all his horror films. Because he's definitely Body Double, Dressed to Kill. Uh, and Dressed to Kill is like an, um, an American homage to um, Giallo's, the Italian Giallo. Um, for those of you who doesn't know what a Giallo is, it's kind of like... Italy's neo-noir in a sense it has usually like technicolor blood that's like obviously really fake um there's usually a killer with black gloves that's usually like sadosexual and uh there's usually a fair amount of nudity if you're into that (laughs) so um yeah Dress to Kill is a phenomenal movie that he did that is pretty much uh giallo um let's see uh sisters is good i haven't seen it in a while but it's like a psychological slasher starring margot kidder with and it's like her fighting her twin that she was (laughs) that well she no literally she was conjoined they were conjoined at birth and then, uh, 
you know, we're separated, and it's like your sister's trying to kill her or something. This is by the same director? Yeah. So, I mean, like, he has... Oh, oh my god, I'm such a moron. He directed Carrie. What? This guy? Yeah, this guy who directed this movie (laughs) also directed Carrie. Like the old Carrie? Like the original Carrie? The original, the 1974 one with Sissy Spacek, yes. Oh, dang. So he is he he's a horror director. He's a horror legend. Um, he just later on and just kind of got away from that and tried to, to branch out. Um, and this is clearly one of those examples. That and I just want to well. <laughs> yeah, and I just want to also say this was not originally supposed to be even his movie to direct. Um, David Fincher was originally supposed to direct, and oh my god. It would have been so much better if David Fincher had directed it. <laughs> yeah, so, why Why didn't he direct it, do you know? Okay, so David Fincher, director of Fight Club, um, The Social Network, yeah, uh, yeah. Gone Girl 7. Great director, love him, one of my favorites. Um, here's what happened. It was, was going to be his movie completely, but what he wanted to do is he wanted to make it a mini-series. And, you know, basically he thought that was the only way that it would do Elizabeth short justice as well as just, um, I don't know, actually adapting it properly. Um, And instead he decided to film... Well, he he moved on it because they didn't want to budge on that. They wanted him to make just a, like, two and a half hour movie or something that was only that was the only amount that they were willing to budge and so he passed on it and ended up doing uh, Zodiac which uh, is a far superior film yes <laughs> yeah. oh that's that's weird that okay so I'm just gonna give a spoiler now because I'll forget about it later but uh, they're, one of the suspects is also thought to be the Black Dahlia murderer as well as the Zodiac killer. I know. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Don't believe um, it. But we'll get into yeah. that later. Yeah. Okay. So the cast uh, goes as follows. Josh Hartnett as Dwight Bucky Blychert. Um, it's been a long time since I've seen Josh Hartnett's face. <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah. Every every now and then I'll rewatch um The Suicide Diaries. Is that what it's called? Do you know what I'm talking uh, about? The Virgin Diaries? Is it Thank the, you, sorry. The Virgin The it's Virgin, the Virgin Diaries. Diaries. Look, spoiler alert, there's a lot of suicide in that movie. Um <laughs> yeah. which is why I had a Freudian slip there, I think. Um but yeah, no, he's like the uh heartthrob in that movie. Look. I never was attracted to Josh Hartnett. You mean Josh Hartthrob? Yeah, no. He was <laughs> never my bag. When everybody was obsessed with him, I had a huge lady boner for Jared Leto. Mm. Which, back yeah. back then, far less people knew who he was as they do now. Jared Leto? He's become more popular. Well, he was in the band, too. When he, he was already in the band. Well, he started that band in like 2003, but... No, it was like the 90s. Maybe, but it didn't... Be- no, I don't think so. I think yeah. their first album came out in like 2001, because I owned it. What? Isn't there like a cult that follows them? 
Yeah, I I haven't done the research on that, but I have seen like Daily Mail reports of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you should know that I've gone on to have bigger, better celebrity crushes than Jared Leto. <laughs> you know, I think uh, '80s James Spader is super hot. Oh yeah, uh, we know your love for okay. James Spader. Yeah, you too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's very charismatic. Right? <laughs> I'm high five through the computer. She sees. <laughs> she sees it. What I see in him. How about do you do you like him in the blacklist? He's great in the blacklist. You like that hat? I like that hat. <laughs> it covers up the fact that he's bald now. Yeah. <laughs> be like, only wear the hat in bed. <laughs> that would be kind of kinky, actually. Right? <laughs> okay, so <laughs> um, Scarlett Johansson as Kay Lake, um, Aaron Eckhart as Lee Blanchard. Hillary Swank as Madeline Linscott. Hillary Mia Swank Kirk- looks sorry, I'm just gonna cut you off. She is beautiful in this movie. She is. They made like that is a good look for her, the like nineteen forties look. Yeah. She's uh, very beautiful. The very beautiful Mia Kirshner played Elizabeth Short, as I previously mentioned. Mike Starr played Detective Russ Millard. Fiona Shaw played Ramona Linscott. Uh, Fiona Shaw, you might know from the wonderful show Killing e- Killing Eve. Have you I, seen that show, Morgan? I never watched Killing Eve. Girl, you gotta do that. Seriously. Did they kill her? Like she did? <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> look, it's a complicated story plot. You just need to watch it. Anyway, um, Patrick Fischler is Deputy DA Ellis Lowe. James Otis is Dolph Blychart. John Cavanaugh is Emmett Linscott. Troy Evans, Chief Ted Green. Anthony Russell, Maury Friedman. Pepe Cerna is Thomas Dos Santos. If you're wondering why I'm going really far in this list, is because there's a surprise in this list. Uh, Angus McGinnis as Captain John Tierney. Rachel Miner as Martha Linscott. You may know Rachel Miner as um, a demon on Supernatural. Uh, she was also married to Macaulay Culkin. What? Yeah. She married him, um, and they got divorced pretty quickly. They got married, like, really young at, like, 19. And uh, then he went on to uh, date Mia, Mila, Mila, Mila Kunis for, like, six years. Oh, yeah. I forgot they were together. That seemed like a, an odd match, right? Yeah. Just me? All right, um, Victor McGuire as Sergeant Bill Koenig, Greg Henry as Pete Lukens, Jamima Rupert as Lorna Mertz, Rose McGowan as Cheryl <laughs> Sadden, and Rose McGowan, this is her second time on the show. We saw, last saw her in the Scream episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which there's a fantastic gif of her head getting smushed in the garage door. It's great. <laughs> I could watch that over and over. And I over. I have it saved on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, and then it really gets down to like gunman number one and shit like that after that. But I had to to scroll down to Rose McGowan because she actually auditioned for the role of Elizabeth Short, but uh, they just made her the roommate. 
Mm. Yeah, but I also heard that Mia Kirshner gave a far better audition. Like, in fact, Mia Kirshner wasn't even going up for any parts in this movie initially. She was hired to read lines with people who were auditioning. And, oh, what? Uh, yeah. And she, she and then she was they really liked her delivery so much they were like, You've gotta you've gotta be here. And that's uh that's how she got the role. That's fun, right? Yeah, that's that's pretty wild. I yeah. I figured Rose McGowan um She looks like she the looks like her. Yeah. But they they dolled Mia Kirshner up. Now I did think that Mia Kirshner was too skinny. Yeah. For uh, the Black Dahlia. Not that the Black Dahlia was huge or anything, but she was definitely more shapely than Mia Kirshner. Um, but her role speaks for itself. Like, she did great. Um, other places you might recognize Mia Kirshner from, most notably, is probably the L Word. Uh, Crow. She was also in the Crow. You're correct. Um, and I guess this audience would probably like the crow more than the l word yeah (laughs) but i don't i've never seen the l word either i have watched a fair amount of it and mostly because uh god i can't think of her name but the actress who's very androgynous in it um is like gwyneth paltrow's cousin or something like that does she sell her vagina smells a candle too (laughs) (laughs) just family Family vaginas. Woman, by all accounts. <laughs> I'm sorry, Gwyneth Paltrow. You're you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, t- to bring it back to Gwyneth Paltrow, uh, she's you know it's pretty smart to be like I'm gonna make this a really expensive candle and sell it. it smells like my vagina. That's like I don't know. The weirdest thing you could do to make money, and it's uh, it's a pretty great idea. I mean, she's so, psycho, and so so here's the thing: it was just rumored that it smelled like her vagina. It actually was just, uh, I think, ty- named that. It wasn't supposed to smell like a a woman's vagina. Oh, really? <laughs> no, but I thought it was um, supposed to smell like hers. <laughs> no. That w- that just got lost in the uh, rumors when the candle was released. I mean, um, shit, she's making a lot of money off of it. Yes, but uh, somebody else, I can't remember which celebrity it was, but kind of reacted to that with, I'm going to make vaginas and incense, and they're really going to smell like my vagina. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought to myself, that must be an interesting day in the lab. creating that scent (laughs) yeah who would be the smell testers I don't know (laughs) I don't know I don't know if this woman was married I gotta remember who it was Um, some guys from Craigslist (laughs) probably (laughs) that seems like the place to go for that kind of job yeah (laughs) oh goodness uh, just goop. I think of. I equate it to her vagina. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my God! I remember who it was. Um, Queen. It's Erica Badu. She's the one who wanted to make vagina scented incense. Oh my God! 
yeah, she's a she's an interesting lady, Erica Badu. Uh, yeah, but she I, has a hat like uh, what's his name that you like so much? Spader. If yeah, you see lately, yeah, she yeah she rocks one of those sometimes. She they also rocks taller rocks and like, taller. Huh? Her hats keep getting taller and taller. Well, yeah. I mean, in the 90s, she wore a lot of, um, like, head wraps. That yeah. Her hair was, like, elaborately done really high. Yeah, now she wears a giant cap. Hat. Yeah, I am actually seeing a clip of her wearing what looks like... Kind of like the hat that the lead singer of Jamiroquai wears... And virtual insanity? Yeah. Except <laughs> right? like two, two times bigger? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that one was really big. It was just furry and probably lighter. Yeah. Uh, I know what you're talking about. Sort of. Okay. We'll just <laughs> Google Jamiroquai virtual insanity video. It's the fuzzy hat. It's pretty fuzzy, yeah. Yeah. They had Can you tell... Of- Source. Can you tell that we're 90s kids making these ancient references? <laughs> <laughs> how did we? I don't remember how we got here. I'm so sorry. <laughs> we were talking about the girl in the L word. Oh. That's, that's how we got super sidetracked. Look, <laughs> our audience knows that they will eventually get the true crime and horror movie morsels that they desire. They know that we go on tangents. And if you're sticking along for the ride, Bless you. Please bear with us. <laughs> um, yeah, so the whole story is a neo-noir, and I'm just going to quickly brush over that because, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was bad noir. It was bad. Like, it really captures that noir feel because Brian De Palma is not a bad director, this was just never a movie that was meant to be his, as far as the other points of it. Yeah, the script, the shit they say sometimes. I'm like, what? That's so stupid. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my God. And, like, Scarlett Johansson's character, she's kind of awful. Yeah. Uh, but she looks great in 40s clothing. Yeah, she Her does. Her hair looks fantabulous. Went with a fake word there. <laughs> they look the same as they did on um, uh, Pearl Harbor. You know what? I was making, I was drawing comparisons in my own mind between this film and Pearl Harbor because it's just another vehicle for a tragedy that makes Josh Hartnett look good. <laughs> 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 Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> I, yeah, you're pretty right. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, this was screened at the 63rd Venice International Film Festival and was released in the United States on September 15th, 2006. Um, it was a critical failure, a huge critical failure. Um, it lost, I want to say, like, mm, I want to say it lost like $700,000 or something like that. Like it didn't break even, (laughs) which is 
disastrous in Hollywood. <laughs> um, so, our main character, uh, L.A. Detective Dwight Bucky, Blightchart, and that's, you know, Josh Hartnett, and Lee Blatchard, uh, Aaron Eckhart, are paired as partners and are um, engaging in a box match at the beginning which is I don't know it seems kind of out of place but it does sort of set up like a rivalry between the two partners that's sort of an underlying current in the film um so Lee introduces Bucky to his girlfriend Kay Lake Scarlett Johansson and the trio become, you know, thick as thieves. They spend all their time together, so he's like the third wheel in their marriage, which is awkward. And so Bucky is shocked when Kay tells him she isn't sleeping with Lee. And uh, she later tries to seduce him, and he refuses. Like, um, are you high? I, that's my partner. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I can't know. No, that's just wrong. I can't do that. And, you know, she's just like, you know, kind of, there's kind of disdain there, but she doesn't necessarily completely back down. Um, he also discovers that Kay has been branded with the initials BD for Bobby DeWitt, and that's a gangster whose arrest and conviction for a bank robbery made Lee's career. So that's how he met her. Was through an arrest. Um, your whole relationship's just not right. Did we have a discussion about this? Like where you shouldn't date people from your job? Especially like <laughs> especially like someone who's involved with dangerous gangsters? Yeah. Right? Like I would be and he's a police detective. I would be afraid <laughs> that, you know, somebody that didn't get arrested that's linked to his criminal organization would come and murder me when he yeah. finds out. Yeah. Like, that you're working with the cops. Yeah. You're sleeping with the cops. You're, yeah, I would be terrified. Fucking terrified. Yeah, they would come get her. She yeah. would have to leave Hollywood. I would not only be afraid for her, but I'd be afraid for him, too. Because they've got more than one reason to be mad at him. <laughs> yeah, and... This whole three-way relationship is so fucking weird. It reminds me kind of of Vicky Cristina Barcelona, which is also <laughs> with Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> great movie. Um, Way better than this. Yeah, I know people are pretty mad at Woody Allen. Um, I declined to comment on it. We're just going to move past that. <laughs> I had what? I was just going back, ignoring the that Thank thing, you. so we don't get into it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, like the whole three-way thing, like they're like, you tell him this, and they're using Josh Hartnett as this like middle guy, and yeah, it's so awkward. Well, he even says he has this like um, little speech that he does, like. Where he's to, you know, it's like to the audience. And he's talking about how he remembers like going back and forth between his parents. And that's how this felt. Yeah. <laughs> Super awkward. Yeah. 
very awkward. But like, like that one... scene where they go to the movies together and she's sitting between them and there's a scary part in the movie and she like grabs both of their hands. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, she just Ready. wanted the DP. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Oh my God, Morgan! No, um, I think I think she was an old school polyamorous. She was into the idea yeah. of having them both. Yeah, and uh, I very much doubt that either one of them would have been down for it. <laughs> so for smoking what? guy, <laughs> certainly not him, because. Um, there's a scene where he's watching, um, like, a, a porn, kind of, that uh, the Black Dahlia was in, and it's between her and another woman. Yeah. And he gets so violently mad during that. Yeah, he yeah, does. It's weird. It's strange. He's it's like... So mad. Huh? He was so mad. He, like, very mad. He, like, flipped something over and just... Yeah, he, like, like threw some papers on the ground he's like fuck yeah like he like became obsessed with her uh, he was like obsessed with her i mean they they were both obsessed with that case for some reason i mean i get it if i was a police chief uh you know a a police detective in the 40s in at los angeles i would also be obsessed with figuring this shit out (laughs) but i don't know if i would let it um ruin my personal life yeah Got to draw a line somewhere, people. Yeah, you have to have to draw a line. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so Bucky learns, like I was just saying, that Elizabeth was an aspiring actress who appeared in a pornographic film and hung out with lesbians. He goes to a lesbian nightclub and meets Madeline Linscott who looks very much like Elizabeth. Now, Madeline Linscott, remember, is Hilary Swank. Um, so Madeline, who comes from a rich family that's, uh, you know, well-off, well-known in the community, prominent, if you will, uh, tells Bucky that um, her and Elizabeth were really good friends, but asks him to not put her name in the favor. Uh, pretty much in exchange for sex? And she introduces him to her wealthy parents. Like, pretty much immediately. Um, So Lee's obsession with the case gets worse and worse. She becomes rather erratic and abusive towards Kay. Uh, Lee and Bucky end up having a really bad argument about a previous case. And Bucky goes to Lee and Kay to apologize, only to learn from Kay... That Lee was responding to a tip about Bobby DeWitt. And you know that's a hot topic for him. Especially since I'm sure every time... Oh yeah, she's not even sleeping with him. Well, I'm sure, you know, he's seen the initials branded on her. And it probably infuriates him every time. (laughs) You know, I'm Mm. putting putting conjecture a little bit into the (laughs) film. It's fine. (laughs) <laughs> he's a fictional like character that just seems like kind of unnecessary because like he was very focused on the Black Dahlia case like just make him be obsessed with the Black Dahlia case and not with Bucky DeWitt's case oh but don't you remember this movie isn't really about the Black Dahlia I know but it's called <laughs> it's, it's really about this this three way relationship between That's... Aaron Eckhart 
Scarlett Johansson and uh, Hartnett. <laughs> Josh Hartnett. <laughs> what it's really about. Okay, so. Where was I in the movie? Oh, so Bucky goes to find Bobby DeWitt and his partner. And DeWitt's in the atrium of a building. Um, and he is gunned down by Lee. He then sees a man, uh, like, grab Lee and puts a, like, knife to his throat. And a second figure steps out. And Oh, no, no. A second figure steps out and slips, slits his throat. So they kind of, like, put him in, what, like a headlock? Is that what was happening? Yeah. I think he has a rope or something around his neck. He's yeah, like it's a, a garage. Oh, like a, a garage. garage. Yeah. yeah, all right. So I keep one in my closet. <laughs> Do you really? <laughs> it's not really a garot, but I like to call it a garot. It's just okay. in case. Okay. <laughs> Man, you're brave. I, I really don't know what it is. Oh, yeah, okay. I, have a sh- I have a shotgun, too. Okay. I have a lot of weapons. <laughs> That's good. That's good, Morgan. It's a dangerous world out there. Yeah. Okay. Especially for women. <laughs> anyway, so, second guy, you know, he's incapacitated by the garrote, and then his throat is slit by a second figure that steps out. <clears throat> they fall over the railing to their deaths. I mean, he was going to die anyway from that throat cut, probably. Unless unless L.A. decided... Unless the uh, ambulance decided to be quick on the draw. So... Meanwhile, Bucky's character is just... Staring on, frozen in fucking fear. He can't do anything. Um, he just watches the whole scene unfolds, frozen. And uh, the grief of losing Lee propels Bucky and Kay into banging. They get it on finally because there's been sexual tension this whole damn movie, and at least <laughs> something exciting should happen. <laughs> The next morning, um, Bucky finds money hidden in Lee and Kay's bathroom. Kay reveals that she has been DeWitt's girlfriend and that he abused her. Now, Lee rescued Kay, um, as we've previously spoken of, uh, stole DeWitt's money and put DeWitt behind bars. Crooked cup. Bucky realizes Lee was there to kill DeWitt and leaves, you know, furious. And he goes back to Hilary Swank's character, Madeline, where he notices a painting of a leering clown. Kay follows him, and she is appalled to see Madeline's striking resemblance to the Dahlia. So, if you're wondering about the painting... (laughs) It's from the film, um, The Man Who Smiles. Is that what it is? Man Who Laughs. Man the Man Who Laughs. laughs. It's from The Man Who Laughs. That came out in the, like, 20s, I think. It's a silent film. 1928. Haha, I'm right. Yeah, uh, it's considered... Some people call it a horror movie just by because of the way the man looks. But it's really a it's really like a romantic drama. 
Um, but yeah, it's a really famous, it's a pretty famous film. It's based off of a Victor Hugo novel. Now, in the movie, um, I believe Hilary Swank's character says that he's a relative, the guy who played that role. And so they like, uh, that's why she has the creepy ass painting. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking terrifying. Um, Brian De Palma was actually really inspired by this movie, and that's why he had to include it in the film. Mm. Yeah, she was a big fan. Big fan. Okay, so Kay has followed Bucky to uh, Madeline's house, and she is pretty freaked out by how much Madeline looks like the Black Dahlia. And she basically tells him that he's, like, sick for dating her or seeing her or whatever. And calls her, I don't know, something bad. <laughs> so, I don't remember what the word was. Because by this point, I was way bored. Way bored. Yeah. I feel like my description is more exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious, too. <laughs> And they kept saying how much those actresses look alike, but I don't think they looked anything alike. I mean, they both were so beautiful, but, I mean, Hilary Swank doesn't look like Mia Krishner at all. I <laughs> just, agree. Or like, she does not. Black. They just wore black. That was it. Yeah. Yeah, like, and had, like, the curly little bob. That's all yeah. they did. <laughs> um, I just think, yeah. like, Amy Adams or somebody would look a lot more like Mia Krishner. But... I just played along. Yeah, you suspend <laughs> disbelief at this point. And I mean, it's whatever. Ugh. I almost, almost would have rather have watched the horror film, but I've heard that it's far worse than this, so. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> yeah, right? <sighs> what, you know what? There needs to be a good Black Dahlia film that doesn't throw all this side stuff and is actually just like, I think it should be done from like, the perspective of the killer, and then you just never find out who the killer is. Ooh. Ooh. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, Somebody you make it. this movie. <laughs> Somebody do this justice, please. Mm. Okay. So, Bucky starts putting pieces together and remembers uh, props in another movie that match the set to the porno that Elizabeth was in. The end credits thanked Emmett Lin- blah, blah, blah. Emmett Linscott, as in Madeline's father. And Bucky digs deeper into a story Madeline told him about using old film sets to build cheap uh, fire trap housing. In an empty house below the Hollywood Land sign, because back in the 20s it said Hollywood Land and not just Hollywood. Uh, and that sign was built by Emmett. Bucky recognizes the set that was used in Elizabeth's film. He finds evidence in a barn on the property that Elizabeth was killed and butchered there, as well as a drawing of a man with a Glasgow smile, which that's referring to where she got her mouth on either side slit into a smile that eerily uh, is similar to the smile of the man who laughs. Except, you know, way more gruesome. Because he just had a big mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Being honest. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So Bucky confronts Madeline and her father and mother, and the mother reveals that she killed Elizabeth. She confesses that Madeline was not fathered by Emmett, but rather by his best friend, Georgie. She says Georgie became infatuated while watching Elizabeth film the pornography. Ramona was disturbed by the idea that George, by the idea of George having sex with someone who looked so much like his own daughter and lured Elizabeth to the house and killed her. But before Bucky can decide what to do, Ramona shoots herself. Um, A few days later, remembering something Lee said during an investigation, Bucky visits Madeline's sister, Martha, with some questions, and he learns that Lee knew about Madeline and Elizabeth and blackmailed Madeline's father to keep it secret. Bucky finds Madeline at a seedy motel, and she admits to being the one who slit Lee's throat. (laughs) Uh, Although she insists that Bucky wants to have sex with her rather than kill her, he tells her she's wrong and shoots her dead. <laughs> like, nah, bitch, bang. <laughs> uh, Bucky goes to Kay's house and she invites him in and closes the door and that's the last thing you see. I want those two and a half hours or two hours and ten minutes of my life back. Me too. It's... Does the motive made no sense? No, and here's what's bad about it is that, and even the... Uh, the guy who wrote the novel, James Elroy, he said that, that the original cut was like three and a half hours, and he claims that that director's cut is far more um, faithful to his novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have not read the novel. I do not know if that's true, but he is the guy who wrote it, so I kind of trust him. Um, <laughs> but basically, <laughs> basically, the studios... Our, the studio is responsible entirely for this just not being what it should have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really like it. But I will say, I'll, I uh, have one quote that I really love from that movie. It's when they're questioning Elizabeth Smart's dad in the diner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's just like pretty much saying, oh, yeah, she's a slut. Good thing I have four more daughters. I and, know. And then he's, you can hear someone in the background saying, we need three pigs in a blanket. And he's like, yeah, yeah, keep your panties on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was just an explosive response <laughs> to pigs in a blanket. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Elizabeth Short, actually, her, you know, real life was pretty not great. Did Poor I say girl. Elizabeth Smart? I keep calling her Elizabeth Smart. Short. Did I say short? I don't know. I don't know. I've been very diligent to not say smart because I've been doing the same thing. Because it's another. It's a name very close to hers. It's also big in the true crime world. Yeah. I keep interchanging them. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that I've not said smart. Think okay. I've been trying really hard to say short, but I may have interchanged them once myself. I'm not sure. Yeah, in uh, my you, case, I've, I've wrote Elizabeth Smart. <laughs> three it's times. okay. Clearly, we were both making that connection. Um, <laughs> you know, it's fine. I'll. Yeah, keep I'll, your panties on. <laughs> yeah, I'll do the edit. I'll do the editing tomorrow, and we'll find out. 
Keep your panties on. Oh, God. The next time anyone asks me for anything, I'll be like, yeah, yeah, keep your panties on. What? Uh, Absolutely. And I live in New York, so I actually hear stuff like that with that accent. (laughs) Yeah, that guy was on, like, a really short-lived series with Bette Midler. Oh, excellent. That was the husband. I was just like, I know him from somewhere. That was a shitty show. I'm so glad it only lasted one season. Oh, all right. I mean, I got to be honest. I like Bette more for her singing than her acting. Not that she's a bad actress. She's not. But I like her more for that. Yeah. Yeah. Don't at me, Hocus Pocus (laughs) lovers. (laughs) Oh, they will. While you were watching Hocus Pocus as a child, do you know what my favorite Bette Midler movie was? Oh, the the story of the two girls? Beaches. Yeah, Beaches, that's it. (laughs) God, no, I can't sit through that dribble. Oh, Morgan, Morgan, you know better. I don't like I don't like <laughs> movies like that. Come uh, on, no. it's, a, it's it a feel good. It's not a feel good movie. It's a sad movie. Uh, I mean, I try, life is. I sad. try to avoid that <laughs> in my life. <laughs> I get you know with all Mark's emo music, I get enough sad songs. Okay. <laughs> so, what's your favorite Bette Midler movie? It's the First Wives Club. Oh, that is a good one. I went to see it in theaters when I was like eight. <laughs> because I really wanted to see it. And I liked Diane Keaton. Remember, I'm an old man in a <laughs> 32-year-old woman's body. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so we're going to take a tiny break. And we'll be back shortly. Morgan, would you oh. like to tell us about the Black Dahlia? Um, I guess. I guess okay. we can do that if that's what we're supposed to do. I mean, it's what we do every time we do the show. Well, not the Black Dahlia, but you talk about the crime. It's your portion. Yeah. Is it? Oh. Huh? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea, so. Um... This is just dripping with sarcasm right now. <laughs> <laughs> So we're just gonna we're just gonna wing it today, all right? <laughs> okay. So, um, as we were talking about the Black Dahlia, uh, her real name was Elizabeth Short, and she was born July twenty ninth, nineteen twenty four, in Boston, Massachusetts. She was the third born out of five. Uh, so the third daughter out of five girls. Um, the family, which is a lot of girls, it's crazy. They were shooting for a boy, probably. Um, but the, the family shortly lived in Portland, Maine. Um, and then sometime they moved back, uh, to Boston or around Boston. That's when Elizabeth's father, Cleo Short, um, he was making his money designing and building wacky miniature golf courses. Um, After the stock market crash in 1929, Cleo's car and belongings were discovered abandoned by the Charles River. Um, So 
After the disappearance and possible suicide of the father, the mom moved the family to Medford, which is a Boston suburb, and raised her daughters there while working as a bookkeeper to support her five kids. Um, around uh, that was when Elizabeth was six, by the way, that her dad disappeared. Yeah. Um, and she she grew up like with really bad lung issues. Um, so she had chronic bronchitis and severe asthma attacks. And when she was 15, she had to go under uh, for lung surgery. And the doctors suggested that they relocate to a milder climate during the winter. And so that's when Short or Elizabeth went to live with family and family friends to Miami, Florida, which is amazing. Um, <laughs> to go from Massachusetts to to the beach. <laughs> um, given her home life, I would never want to go back. Yeah, seriously. I'm a Florida girl now, Ma. Yeah, fucking snowbird. Um, poor sisters, though. Seems like they didn't get to go. It was just her. Well, I mean, um, to be fair, they only sent her there because of her bad lungs. Yeah, I would just use it as an excuse even in the summer when I came back. I'd be like, <laughs> I gotta go back to Florida. Yeah, right? <laughs> totally. Yeah. My, my lungs, my lungs are acting up. I need to go back to Miami. I mean, I gotta be honest. If I was the mother, this is an opportunity to get rid of your other kids for a summer. <laughs> I thought you meant like, to winter, kill them all. <laughs> Send them to school down there. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, why doesn't she abandon the family? Oh, spoiler alert. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so. Nothing good this... happens to this girl. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, God. It's so sad. Uh, so in her sophomore year, she dropped out of school. And I think she was living in Florida. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then, then around 1942, because I, I think that... That would be like 1958 or something. Um, no, I can't do math. Just kidding. 1948. <laughs> um, so in late 1942, her mom received a letter from her supposedly dead husband um, apologizing that he left his five daughters and his wife to uh, start up a new life in California, <laughs> which is just crazy. So, like, they, you know, thought he was dead for that long, and then he wasn't. <laughs> um, so he was he was gone for 12 years before he ever, like, said, hey, what's up? I'm alive. Uh, so shortly after that, that's when... Uh, Elizabeth Short, whenever she was 18, she was like, I want to go live with my dad, um, who's a really great guy. <laughs> Not really. Um, well, she just really wanted to reconnect with him. I think she wanted to go to California. Well, she wanted that, too, because she definitely wanted to be a star. But some part of her wanted to reconnect with her father. It just didn't work out. Yeah, it did not work out. It only lasted maybe a year. Yeah, um, it wasn't long. Yeah, it was very short. I think it was like 11 months that she lived there. They started arguing a lot, of course. She's 18. He is a deadbeat dad. 
Um, Who doesn't know what it's like to raise a, t- raise a teenager? Yeah. So she ended up moving out, um, and she took a job, which is now at an Air Force base, but it was at like a little, um, it's called a base exchange. Um, it was at Camp Cook. Now it's Vandenberg Air Force Base. Um, this was still in California. And she uh, took up living with some friends, which she had a lot of friends, like tons of friends. She was very bubbly and outgoing. And um, so she ended up meeting an Army Air Force sergeant, uh, shortly lived with him. And apparently, I don't know where it said that he beat her up and then she she moved on to Santa Barbara around yeah September 1943 she was arrested for underage drinking um so if you've ever seen you know Elizabeth Short's uh like mugshot picture that's from her time um, I have I'm staring at it right now in fact because yeah. I have the FBI's page on her pulled up yeah yeah, that's all there, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and her fingerprints, too. Yes, they are unremarkable. I mean, they are, because everyone's fingerprints are uh, different. But, but you know what I mean? It's a spiral uh, fingerprint. I, what's crazy, I thought the legal drinking age was 18 then. You know? She was over 18. So I don't uh, know how, how she got I don't know. That's weird, too. Because, wait, how old was she at that point when she got 20, arrested? 24 to 43. Uh, she would be 21, right? I thought so, too. Well, hold on. Uh, wait, 43? On. No, just kidding. No, no, because she, she died when she was 22 in 1947. Yeah, because this is 43. So she'd be 19. Still too young. Or actually, but... she just would be 20. Oh, all right. Well, still? She looks old enough to drink. Like She does. Like, um, yeah. And I it's don't great know. that they arrested her. Like, why not just give her a fine or something? Like, you're going to you would... take this 20-year-old woman to jail for underage drinking. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. You would think that a beautiful woman in L.A. around that time, like, not far from the drinking age, would be, like, slap on the wrist, do some community service. Yeah. that That's what I was like. What the fuck? Like, California was a cool place. I mean, that's where, like, everyone went back in, you know. I guess people still do, but, like. Well, back that- then, well, you know what? It still happens. But, like, if you're, like, a young, broke, experienced aspiring actress i gotta say murder's a pretty high thing that could happen <laughs> <laughs> yeah but in, instead of um just slapping her wrist and giving her a fine they ended up trying to send her back to medford with her mom um they did but for in, a little bit well she didn't go back there she ended up going to florida well right but she went back to a home of sorts yeah, she went back to, I'm assuming, family, friends, or family, um, yeah, but not same, back to her mom. Yeah, she went back to the same family, I think, that she was already staying with in Florida for her lungs. I think so. But they wanted her to go with her mama. And she was like, nah, I'm going to go to Florida. 
Um, So while in Florida, she was dating Major Matthew Michael Gordon Jr. He was an Army Air Force officer, and he actually was deployed uh, for World War II. And while he was recovering from a plane crash, he sent her a uh, marriage proposal through the mail um, from India. (laughs) So I got to tell you. No way would I say yes to that. Yeah, that's. A, <laughs> I wonder if he like I'm gonna die here in India and like just you know was grabbing at anything. Um, Perhaps. I don't know. She said yes. Uh, she also told people that they're married. Um, there's a few reports where she claimed that was her husband, but they were never married, and sadly he did not make it back. Um. Less than a week before World War II ended, he died in a second plane crash. So her lover was uh, dead by the time she probably, like the letter probably didn't even get to him, I'm assuming, like of her saying yes. Um, So after this, heartbroken, she went to Los Angeles And she visited another Army Air Force lieutenant, um, Joseph Gordon Fickling. Um, And that was a past boyfriend from Florida. Uh, She stayed there with him like about six months or so. And then she moved to Los Angeles and she was working as a waitress um, and rented a room above a nightclub. And that was around Hollywood Boulevard somewhere. So some people say she was like an aspiring actress, but other people say she wasn't. She was just very beautiful. And there are pictures of her like modeling and stuff, but I think it was just from her friends. Cause a lot of the photos we have of her, uh, we find later that came from a trunk so it wasn't anything like publishers or anything had or like a modeling agency it was all her photos that she kept in a trunk that was lost um and recovered from a greyhound station later so it's i don't know because there's no acting jobs or anything on her credit and there's no like photos or anything but they did say she liked to date around and she was dance around when is that's not date. a crime date date around oh yeah. no they don't they would have arrested me back in the day <laughs> <laughs> just arrest me guys yeah they would definitely they would put me away forever um but no i don't i don't know that because i didn't um find anything about her in risque films or or photos. Uh, from what I understand, she was dating a married guy whenever she yes. disappeared. Um, and it's unknown that she even knew he was married. Um, he prob- What I think is, what happened is he probably told her that he wasn't or that they were separated or something, and that's what happened. But um, even if she did knowingly sleep with them you know that's between her and the wife and the guy yeah no i'm just yeah. it seems like there was like a lot of effort to prove that she was 
like some kind of sex worker, that she was like some kind of floozy, like she was always wearing like provocative clothes and all this stuff. Like that's what I kept dreading and reading. And it's like, okay, well, she was still murdered in a horrible way. So maybe focus on that. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, it was really fucked up how the media did everything on this case, especially them colluding or like damaging the investigation several times like between the LAPD and like the media they fucked this case like hardcore um like so okay we'll get to her disappearance so on January 9th in 1947 she was dating like I said a married man named Robert Red Manley um he had been he had taken her to San Diego uh, for a trip, and he brought her back and dropped her off at the hotel she was staying at, uh, the Biltmore Hotel. Um, or I think she was just visiting. And she had told them him that he she was meeting her sister. Um, I don't know if that backs up, but apparently the, they did investigate him and didn't find him um, guilty of anything. Uh, but the Biltmore staff does remember her coming in, talking on the phone, and then she left and she was spotted downtown very, like, a few blocks away uh, at a cocktail lounge. Um, so on the morning of January 15th, which was six days after the last time that Red had seen her, she was found in a field. Uh, a mom was walking with her three-year-old daughter, and she said that she saw this bright white store mannequin, she thought. And she was like, huh, why would someone throw out a perfectly good mannequin, and why would they break it in half? But then as she got closer and closer, she noticed it was not a store mannequin it was elizabeth short's body uh so that's when she ran to a nearby house and called the police oh and i want to go back to the movie part she left her fucking baby yeah <laughs> did y'all see that yeah <laughs> she it's like an overhead shot of her screaming and chasing a car which could very well be the killer she has no idea but she's like running in an alley like help help and her baby it's a baby it's not a three-year-old like this says but it's like a little baby in a stroll and she just fucking leaves a baby right by a dead body Mm -hmm. i was just like this this is not gonna be a good movie when that's like one of the opening scenes um the detail is important yeah you don't leave especially around dead you know you don't know if the killer is hiding in the bushes like take your baby with you like leave the carriage run with your baby yeah (laughs) that reminds me off topic but i was watching the office earlier and uh jan had just had a child and uh dwight's character or dwight um spends like the entire time during the baby shower trying to test how uh destructible or indestructible the 
the baby stroller is. Oh, the baby stroller. <laughs> yeah, because it costs like $1,200 or something. And he said <laughs> that it better be indestructible. <laughs> yeah, those. But those things back then were way not. She had like a little bassinet thing. but Oh, yeah. yeah. Or a, a prim, as the British yeah. would call it. A pram. A prim. A pram. Yeah, she just fucking left her baby in a pram while some dead chick's right there. Um, so, it's, so she she said like it it looked like a mannequin, and because she she like she was solid white, and she was already pale before uh, she was murdered. But uh, the reason why she looked really white was that her body was actually drained of blood before the murderer left her body there and she had been washed like thoroughly hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't even visit other leading job sites so start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you by whoever killed her um so medical examiners said that she had been tortured for at least a few days before her body was found that she was murdered somewhere else and she was left there um during the night of January 14th or uh, early morning of January 15th. So they think around the time of death was 10 hours prior to them discovering her. Um, So any crime person or anybody that, you know, I I guess it's alive because I think everyone has like heard of the Black Dahlia. Because it's just such a gripping crime case. That's never been solved. So, But if anyone's gone out there, you can see the crime photos. Uh, they're pretty brutal because the LAPD allowed all of the media to come and take photos of the crime scene. Um, which really hurt the investigation, too. Um, the only things that were found there at the uh, crime scene a few drops of blood a bloody cement bag it was like an empty cement bag with blood blood in it um 
and a half of a shoe print and the tires leading up to uh, the curb because he abandoned her whereas now like someone's front yard it's like a neighborhood now Um, but back then it was like an open field um, where people would walk and stuff so it wasn't like some back alley somewhere Um, but it was near a bunch of houses back then Um, so a whole bunch of people started taking pictures of the crime scene, the corpse. Um, but what you see is a white, pallid white woman with her hands above her head. And she's got a eternal smile, also known as the Glasgow smile. So she had been slashed from the corners of the mouth from ear to ear. Um, she also had cuts on her breasts, her thighs, her abdomen. Um, she was sliced in half, uh, which is, it was taught like back in the day. It's called a hemi, hemi corporectomy, um, which is where you transect the body from the lumbar bar spine and the vertebra. And so you sever the intestine right at the duodenum, which could be performed on people who had different types of cancers or severe spinal injuries. And I think there's a movie. Uh, what's that movie? We, you were one of us. One of us. What is that? Uh, freaks. Freaks. Yeah. One of the women in there, I think, had that surgery. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. She's on her arms, like, she's, she just, like, walks around just on her arms. She has yeah. no bottom at all. Um, so well, she, she's got the, like, parts to use the restroom. Does she? Well, you can't live without being able to do that. Yeah, you can. You can, you can live, because it just takes the bladder out. If you have your ureters and your kidneys, you're fine. It doesn't cut them out. Okay, but I mean... You use a bag. People live with... You know, ostomies all the time. Well, Your right. ostomies and colonoscopy. Yeah, those exist. Well, right. But, I mean, you don't see anything attached to her like that, though. In the movie, anyway. You don't see her naked. Oh, I guess that's true. But, the, I don't know. I'm going to have to rewatch Freaks now. <laughs> I'm pretty sure she had that. Or she she was a flipper baby, maybe. Maybe. Either Is that one a derogatory makes... term now? Sorry. I uh, probably. I'm gonna assume probably. Let's yeah, like there's that. a couple of people in that movie that are cut like that. Oh, I know, because I mean, so many they used actual um, people with genetic deformities for the movie. Um, yeah, you know that. You know that movie ended Todd Browning's career. Just really murdered it. Oh yeah, murdered it. That film was not popular at the time. Oh, I like it. Was it. A, I love that movie. <laughs> I do too. Google gobble one of Ooh, us. What? One of us. <laughs> but uh, yeah, not uh, everyone felt that way about it at the time. It's a classic now, but back then, mm. yeah, I can see. I guess I can see why, but. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the dude, uh, he's not the leader. I don't remember who he is in it. He wears a suit. 
Um, that's uh, that's the guy who's with the um, able-bodied woman, the main character. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't. So he's he's missing his lower half. Like you can live with it. It's an actual surgery. No. Okay, it was not the able-bodied guy. It was okay. the. It was one of the. I hate to say it. Freaks. That's what they called them in the movie. That is what they called them in the movie. But I think I did it classily earlier. Yeah, I, mean, when I said. <laughs> Uh, I don't mean to <laughs> I'm not calling you out. No, they, I mean, the movie is the freaks, and they're... Well, I, yeah, I know. You're referring to what I'm they're so called in the film. And that's... <laughs> <laughs> People with disabilities. Um, but yeah, they have the... Anyway. I'll find it later. I wish I would have looked this up beforehand. Because okay. there's, like, John, Johnny Eck. Is that it? Oh my god. I'm pretty sure he had that thing. Mm-hmm. So he had sacral agenesis and they said he had been snapped off at the waist that is not a good way to put it um but yeah i'm pretty sure he had that type of surgery probably early maybe i'm lying i don't know but anyway she had been cut that way um which would cut the duodenum which would prevent her from going septic um and they would just take the bowels out and but anyway, they said this was done after death, luckily. Uh, so she didn't have to live. To, I mean, she died a horrible death, but she didn't have to live with being severed in two. Um, she also had been, like I said, slashed from the corners of her mouth from ear to ear for the Glasgow smile. That was done while she was alive, as was... Uh, her, I think it was her left breast was completely removed. Um, she also had, no, it was her right breast. Uh, she also had entire portions of her flesh on her left breast that were like cut away in odd angles. Um, she had marks on her upper right abdomen and she had X marks uh, sliced into her around the pubic area. And whoever did this to her also had ripped out her pubic hair with their hands and stuffed it into her vagina. So she she fucking died a terrible death. Um, oh, yeah. They said the coroner's report says she died from uh head injuries and um lo- loss of blood from the glasgow smile during that so they think she had been hit in the head repeatedly with something heavy uh so she had blunt force trauma i guess it was blunt force trauma it just says it's consistent with um blows to the head cuz she had small amount of bleeding in the subarachnoid space um so she also 
was she didn't have a uterus. They took out her uterus. Um, there was a cut from her umbilicus, which is the belly button, down to the suprapubic region, which is right above the vagina. And that's how they removed, or whoever did this, removed the um, uterus. Sorry. So, so they think this is, you know, the work of a surgeon, which it sounds like it is, because that surgery, the uh, one where you pretty much get cut in half, the hemicorporectomy, um, that one was done. It was a radical surgery done by really good surgeons back in the day. Um, so they think this guy was a pretty skilled surgeon as well as a definite fucking psychopath. Um, and the way that they treated her like before and after death, like it's just, it's awful. It's awful. Um, and it's just so fucked up how as time went on, they, they didn't treat her like a victim as she was. They treated her like calling her a slut and stuff, saying that she liked tight skirts and sheer dresses. So, and they also called the murder a sex fiend slaying. So, like we were talking oh. about, what? Can I intervene for just a second? Yeah, sure. Okay. So, related to what you were just saying, I like would like to quote William uh, Hearn. Um. So he said, in many ways, she's been continually victimized by those who wish to find some meaning in her death. And truth be told, I think James Elroy is pissing on her grave for the sake of a bad novel and the Black Dahlia. Bringing myth to the horrendous or the mundane is the meat and potatoes of work of a working novelist. And I'm the first to raise a glass and wish them well. When they illuminate some small unseen truth that might serve as a revelation for the human condition. But for the most part, I only write about writers where I find something valuable or at least interesting in their work. And in the books and in the books to film section, I either love the book or the movie. In the case of Elroy's The Black Dahlia and Brian De Palma's The Black Dahlia, both are dreadful works. And <laughs> as much and as much I would love to blame De Palma, I find the underlying material to be so cynically manipulative, so overwrought, so rooted to such knee-jerk cliches as to be enraging or laughable, depending on my mood. Mm. Yeah, because uh, even in the 80s when he wrote that, he didn't have the respect for her to write a book that saw her in a better light yeah yeah it's it's really fucked up how still in you know what year was this movie made in 2006 uh, yeah the movie was made in 2006 yeah it still made her out to be like this crazy um wild child who was a working girl they kind of make her seem like she was a prostitute when none that... of that has ever been substantiated <clears throat> yes it's only been a rumor uh it's probably because of all the talk of short as a prostitute and appearing in porn films that would lead to the crime scene uh 
had already been covered in a far better novel some 30 years ago, and that would be John Gregory Dunn's 1977 True Confessions, which covers the Virgin Tramp murder. It's an obvious allusion to the Black Dahlia case and a structure alarmingly similar to the Elroy book. Um, instead of the fire and ice, rock'em, sock'em, robocops of Black Dahlia, True, con- <laughs> True Confessions was the story of two brothers, one an upcoming priest, and the other a homicide detective, and how the murder would change their relationship. It was also made into a much better film that was released in 1981 with Robert De Niro and Robert Duvall. What movie is that? I just said it. It's called True Confessions. Oh, okay. I I know it was a book, but I didn't well, know it yeah, was the, book, the same movie. Well, yeah, the book is... Yeah, there's a movie with the same title, just like The Black Dahlia, The Black Dahlia. Oh, I don't think I've seen that. Uh, True Confessions, I highly recommend it. It's fantastic. It's a similar plot line, um, but way better. And uh, clearly made before he even wrote that book, so... Hmm. Yeah... I need to check it out. Um, I don't remember where I was. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was <laughs> long-winded of me. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, um, whenever they found her body, like I said, all the detectives, I mean, all the media was just freaking out, taking pictures, like trampling all over the, the scene. So the coroner and the police tried to get some fingerprints off of anything, but her body had been wiped clean with gasoline and gasoline was used to clean stuff back in the day. Don't know why. Seems kind of weird, but it can get rid of a lot of evidence. Um, so they they ended up like not getting anything at all. No semen, no DNA, nothing. And then it was like a week later or something, two weeks later, uh, that somebody claimed to be the killer. And called um, a newspaper and said he was going to turn him in, himself in. But he wants the police to chase him a little while longer. Um, and they said, quote, expect some souvenirs of Beth Short in the mail. Um, a few days later, there was a letter that was sent to the Los Angeles Examiner and Los Angeles Newspapers. Um, and it said, here is Dahlia's belongings, letter to follow. And it was Elizabeth Short's uh, birth certificate. Um, it was like names written on pieces of paper, some of her photographs of her and her friends, some business cards that she probably picked up from various places. And there was an address book with the name Mark Hansen engraved on the cover. Um, all of this had also been cleaned with gasoline. Uh, so they were, they were able to get some fingerprints like partials, but (laughs) this is so fucking stupid. Whenever they sent it to the mail, to the FBI in Virginia, uh, the envelope was compromised and no prints could be taken from the envelope i like to think they just sent the envelope as mail 
Uh, that would be a good way to completely ruin the evidence. Yeah, because apparently they couldn't get anything. So I like to think they just like put a stamp on it and just sent it. And like they're like, there's so many fingerprints on this. Why does it smell like gasoline? <laughs> so, so sadly, they weren't ever able to get any of the prints. Um... Which is another thing that fucked this all up. Like, this whole investigation was so fucked up. Which goes later on to say that there was some shit, shitty shit going on. There's a lot of different, you know, uh, theories as to why all this took place. But, Look, knows? let's just say that the LA police, the LAPD has had a bad reputation for a really long time. I know. Yeah, like a really long time. Yeah, like, I, I like to think, you know, that they're not corrupt and they have never been corrupt. But, you know, there's evidence that points otherwise. I mean, Rocky maybe King. now. <laughs> oh, no, there's a there's a massive list of shit. Um, I know, but that's one that comes to mind frequently. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the big one <laughs> for yeah. sure. But like. It is really hard to solve a murder case where the victim does not know the killer. You know, any serial killer. They're harder to catch because they usually don't know their victims. So so I will give them that. Um, Yeah, but anyway, uh, they... All the evidence got lost, and then the police start investigating on Mark Hansen. This guy's, you know, his address book was found in a envelope of shit that belonged to the victim. So, um, they interview him. Uh, they held him as a suspect, and they found he was a nightclub owner uh, in a theater owner of some sort and he had known people that knew Elizabeth I don't know if it was ever confirmed that they knew each other but I'm assuming they did Um, and according to one of um, Elizabeth's friends Ann Toth that was her old roommate she said that uh, Elizabeth had stood up Hanson And was like, no, I'm not going to have sex with you. So she, like, you know, put him on the back burner, rejected him. Was like, I don't want to date you. So they were thinking, hey, this could be definitely a reason why he would kill her. Especially in this, you know, hateful manner. Um, But he was cleared after having an alibi. And then... There, there's been so many people. I think in all, it's like over 200 people that were potential suspects. Because, yeah. like, this this girl had a lot of friends and knew a lot of people. I mean, she lived in Massachusetts, lived in Florida, and lived in California and in all different cities. And she liked to go to bars and stuff. So, of course, she met a lot of people. And she was beautiful and young and smart. And she's the life of the party. Yeah, she was a. She seemed like a really great person, like a cool girl. It's just sad that 
her life came to this. And we're yeah. talking about her like almost a hundred years later. No, it's like fifty something. Seventy? Oh my god, how many years Lord. ago was that? I can't add. <laughs> I'm sorry, it just killed me. <laughs> can you can can you math? Can you arithmetic? <laughs> I failed math a lot. <laughs> I I can't survive without a calculator. I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, I so think yeah. it's about seventy four years. <laughs> okay, definitely not a hundred, but closer to a hundred than, yeah, yeah, closer to a hundred than twenty five. <laughs> um, so there is a a lot of different suspects. Did you look at any of the suspects? Um, yes. Um, between the guy that we just talked about and um, George Hodel, those are, seem to yeah. be the ones that people talk about the most. Did you read about it at all, Katie? Oh, yeah. I've totally been on a rabbit hole of these suspects <laughs> I think like as you were saying because like there was so much media coverage and it was like so sensationalized there were also so many false confessions that added to that like list of 200 suspects there were just people Absolutely. coming out of the woodwork they were like I did it I did it I don't know why but <laughs> yeah it's it's crazy. It was like all these people just clung to this case and like wanted to be involved and like just made up false lies about where they were. Um, there was even one guy who like confessed to it and then killed himself. So, but he didn't uh, do I it. Yeah, I remember <laughs> that one. Yeah, and then there was another one who faked their death. Like it was a bunch. There's been a bunch of shit. Um, you know it that actually kind of reminds me of that kind of re that kind of reminds me of that dude that was accused of the um Gainesville Ripper murders. Oh yeah, forgot about that. Yeah, he killed himself too, didn't he? He, I oh, did I can't remember if he did or not. I just remember he killed himself in jail. Did he? I just okay. I just remember his life going drastically downhill after that mm -hmm. but i didn't think he was dead like the bodum murders too yeah yeah exactly we've there seen was two different pattern. people that killed themselves yeah, yeah one dude walked in a lake and one guy hung himself in his jail cell being accused mm -hmm. of murder ruins your life yeah except if you're uh, our last guy <laughs> lucas oh yeah <laughs> I mean, he he got to live the good life after confessing to all this. Well, crimes. the thing is, he did actually kill some people, though. He did, but he got to go on field trips and go to restaurants. Oh, yeah. Like, it was different in the sense that he was already in a bad situation where he was never going to get out of jail. Yeah, so he just he made just it a little used, bit better. <laughs> yeah, he just used that to make, you know, his life more interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I forgot to mention. So the media, fucking media, mm -hmm. totally 
wrecked Elizabeth Short's mom's life. Uh, yes. I don't. Yeah, it is so fucking terrible. So, um, her mom Phoebe, she was still living in Medford. Um, she got a call from a L.A. I don't know what um, newspaper it was, but they had called her and said that she had won a beauty contest and that they needed some information from her. And, of course, she was so happy and so elated to hear that her daughter won a beauty contest and she was, you know, saying all this um, good stuff about her daughter and just, you know, like letting it out, telling her life story and all this stuff. And then after they got all of the information from her, they were like, oh, yeah. And by the way, she didn't win a beauty contest. She's dead. <laughs> like, who the fuck That's would do so that? Yeah. It's awful. Like, That's not the way you tell. Like, oh, yeah. And by the way, she didn't win a beauty contest. She's dead. Like, who the fuck That's would do so that? Yeah. It's awful. Like, That's not the way you tell someone that. No. Like, I feel like they should go to jail for that. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's just such a terrible thing to do to, you know, anybody, especially a mom. Like, so she didn't believe it. She's just like, okay, no, I don't believe any of this. Um, and they actually had to send uh, the police in L.A. had to contact the police in Medford and go to her house and be like explicitly say your daughter is dead before she believed it because she was like no this can't be true nope you lied to me once you know so they they ended up having to like get uh the local police force in massachusetts to go to mom's house to convince her that she was dead after all that shit well the lapd wasn't flying over there no <laughs> <laughs> they probably didn't even call her <laughs> probably not yeah, I think like how they um how they identified her was pretty cool. Uh at that time, you know, they didn't have email. Uh they didn't have lightning fast airmail um or whatever. They used this like picture over the telephone kind of technology that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, it was like um it was kind of like a fax machine, like a really rudimentary fax machine. Yeah, I thought that was kind of neat. They had to do it a few times because it was so shitty. Uh, a sound photo. That's it. Yeah. Um, they definitely don't exist anymore. But it it was, like you said, it, like a pre-fax simile or whatever. And um, it was good enough to get those prints back in like 56 minutes. Yeah, because I sent one, and they're like, oh, we can't read them. And they're like, enhance. And um, they enhanced it. <laughs> enhanced. <laughs> so they, they enhanced it, and then they ended up getting it all the way to Virginia in like an hour. Um, so then they were able to ID her from her arrest for underage drinking. Um, so... All of the theories and stuff is just ridiculous. I didn't even take notes on it. 
do you have any notes? Because I was just like, this is too much. There's um, too many people. So, not to be lazy, but if you want, oh, if you want a fic- <laughs> a pretty good fictionalized version of uh, what's happening with George, of well, of George Hodel and his whole thing, um, I suggest you go watch. Um, shit, what's it called? It's uh, it was a show on TNT. Uh, yeah, it's about him talking about his dad, right? Junior? No. No, no, no. no this is like a, a fictionalized it was a version. Series called I Am the Night. And Yeah, um, thank you. Yeah, that was so good. It was told from the perspective of Fauna Hodel, who was George Hodel's kind of long lost granddaughter. And uh, it explores um, just like really the horse that went on in George Hodel's family and it didn't really talk about the Black Dahlia so much as it did just what a monster George Hodel was um, and there's also yeah. a podcast um, that the root of all evil was created by yeah and it, they're like the daughters of Fano Hodel and um, you know they kind of take that information and tell their side of the story and also have like recordings from other members of the Hodel family. This is part of the rabbit hole that I went down. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and for horror fans, um, the actress who played Fauna Hodel is India Isley, and she is the daughter of um, Olivia Hussey, who uh, everyone who's, a you know, anyone who's a super big horror fan has seen Black Christmas. She is oh. Jess in Black Christmas. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Right. Um, she's been in some other horror movies, but that's her most well-known horror movie for sure. Um, so, yeah. She definitely got her mom's looks, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she did. Yeah, she's beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, that actress also was on the horrible show um the secret life of the american teenager (laughs) 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 ah the soap opera for teenagers is terrible it's like the new um degrassi kind of (laughs) but like with some heavy christian overtones oh that degrassi just didn't have you know yeah i just remember that um Oh, what is his name? Drake was in a wheelchair. Yeah, he was. He was Jimmy. Yeah, I thought Drake literally was in a wheelchair. And when I heard like Drake coming out, I was like, wasn't he in a wheelchair? (laughs) 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 What happened? What kind of surgery did he have? Um, (laughs) The magic of Hollywood. (laughs) No, in the in the show. He gets shot by a school shooter. Yeah. It and was like real life shit if you ever watched the Cross. Yeah, it was great. Like one kid had AIDS. One kid had, you know, cancer. Um, one kid got shot trying to sell drugs to make yeah. money for his pregnant girlfriend. Wasn't <laughs> was she raped or something? No. Somebody was raped. Uh, yes. Different act different character um 
I think that, okay, so the character that I'm thinking of is Liberty. She got pregnant by JJ or JC or something like that. There was a J involved. But he got shot um, trying to sell drugs to make money for the baby. That's right. And then she ends up, like, having to support the baby as a teenager, like, after he's dead. Such a fucking great, weird show. Oh, there was a gr- <laughs> there was an episode where the character Emma went um to some party and ended up cheating on her boyfriend and got a jelly bracelet of the color that represents that she gave him a blowjob. Oh, that's where the snap bracelets came from, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> I forgot about that. All the jelly bracelets. If you if you snapped one or something, you're supposed to like do anal. I don't know. Yeah, shit like that. God. So she earned she earned one for blowing him, and like wore it to school. Look, <laughs> I mean, come on, come on, ladies, children. <laughs> If you're if you're going to do that kind of stuff, don't advertise it. <laughs> I think may, maybe that was the point, but ew, like yeah. ew. Yeah, there were a lot of weird things. I remember one person told me they're like, "I just popped it. You have to do anal with me." I'm like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> um, I no. just like in fact, I do <laughs> Yeah, in fact, I don't. I'm <laughs> not doing that. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to pretend like you're not here now. <laughs> um, shit. Oh, back to... Uh, um. Yes, back to the Black Dahlia. Okay, so, sorry. <laughs> I forgot about those. Okay, Um. so this guy, Hodel. Is it Hodel? It's Hodel. Yeah, it's Hodel. Hodel. Yeah. yeah, so this guy, Steve, has been like really vocal he actually is uh he the son is now an lapd detective um Mm -hmm. he still lives in california uh he did live in california when he was young he doesn't really remember uh, much about it it's kind of just hearsay from when he was a kid and then he started finding things that pointed towards his dad uh being the murderer so when he was young, um, the senior Hodel, uh, Steve's dad, he raped his own daughter. Uh, a bunch mm-hmm. of fucked up shit, like really messed up. Um, and he was also, oh my God, help me out here. Was he a surgeon? He, yeah, he went yes. back to med school. I don't know. Yeah. It. And I, I think thought his he was a surgeon. Yeah, he was a doctor. And he also, weirdly enough, was sort of responsible for um, public health initiatives in Los Angeles related to STDs. So he was like, you know, the guy who was kind of accusing women of like all of these you know, sexual acts are going to lead to all these STDs and it's like this scourge on our city. So he had like some really weird backwards uh, beliefs about women. <laughs> Probably wow. shouldn't have been. There. Yeah. Well, you know, 
a guy who allegedly murdered a bunch of people, women particularly, is probably going to be a piece of shit in his uh, morals. (laughs) Yeah, especially if you have sex with your own daughter. Yeah, judging the fact that we already know that that happened. um, Yeah, no, he was... Okay, so the fucked up thing about this motherfucker, he got off of it. But even though there were three witnesses that watched him rape his own daughter, they threw it out. So, again... You know, when... (laughs) (laughs) You know, when you are a... Um, woman with not a lot of rights. No, and um, the guy who rapes you is your father, and he happens to be a prominent white man in society. Yeah, he's probably going to get off, unfortunately. Especially in 1947. Yeah. So, I'm pretty sure he did it. I, I think, I like to say he did it. But now Steve's saying that his dad was also the Zodiac Killer, which I'm kind of He'd have been like 60, 70 when he was doing those. Yeah, uh, I think Steve just yeah. hates his father or his grandfather and wants to see him convicted for something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of the evidence that he found is, I don't know, it's pretty its pretty damning. I mean, he oh, found receipts true. that have like the a date three days before she was murdered of him buying these same exact um, cement bags. And, like, he's a very wealthy man. He's probably not doing his own, like, cement work at his house or whatever. Three days before the murder, he bought the same exact, like, brand of cement that those same bags were found at her crime scene. That's very mysterious. Yeah. And... And like, all of his connections with, like, the art community, um, he had, like, all of this artwork that was extremely um, misogynistic towards women and saw women in, like, these, like, extremely submissive poses. And um, I don't know. I mean, it goes into a ton of detail if you, like, listen to this podcast and, and watch the series on TV about like how his preferred artwork is like it really mirrors um, some of the things that were done to Elizabeth Short and there's a lot of very strange connections. My opinion is with George Hodel is that like you have to be such a disgusting human being to do the things that he did to her like I mean things that like I would never even think would be in like a horror movie he did to her or allegedly and like he was a very sick person and like all these other suspects it's like oh well maybe he maybe she scorned his advances and that's why um he murdered her but like if you're gonna like just murder someone because they scorned your advances like are you gonna go through these lengths to like be so like, disgusting in your crime? Like, wouldn't you just hit her over the head or something? I don't know. I well, think he well, is clearly disgusting. sexually motivated. <laughs> yeah. It, and it's hate, too. The way that mm-hmm. they, like, he treated, I'm saying he, he treated her, you know? 
Like, uh, yeah. to cut off, uh, to cut off a woman's breast while they're alive and then oh, yeah. ruin their face, too, when they're, like, beautiful, it's just it's fucking twisted. Absolutely. Can we talk about that crazy art scene in I Am The Night? Yeah. Oh, that was haunting. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I wish I would have watched this. You need to. So I need I more remember. time. <laughs> There's like a scene where someone's just lying flat, I think with like no clothing or various degrees of clothing. Do you remember exactly what happened? I don't remember exactly that scene. I mean, I remember like some of the art parties that they had that were just so creepy. And um, that, you know, is one of like the things that they took from fact is that the children like Tamar, the girl who was raped by George Hodel, she was invited to these art parties where people were like doing drugs and drinking and she was, you know, getting hit on by all these older guys that were like so creepy and oh you have to see this artwork it's really gross i mean it's 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 creepy yeah um, it was very of, sexual all the yeah, artwork very sexual and um one of the things that steve hodell uh said is that i don't know it, the way that he described this art scene is like it was almost like a secret society and they had like different symbols and um one of the symbols that he described as like seeing uh in George Hodel's art collection or whatever it was like a woman who was like dissected to look like exactly the way that Elizabeth Short was dissected hmm. that's very weird right yeah yeah that's very strange and fun fact uh, about George Hodel <laughs> um he actually lived in one of uh, Frank Lloyd Wright's house. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess that's a fun fact, but Frank I Lloyd think it Wright. is. Yeah. In the Soden house. Um, a legend in architecture. Yeah. Yeah. There's a yeah, great... I mean, he was, like, really wealthy, like living in a Frank Lloyd Wright house and he had like so many connections, like his friends exactly. were so rich. But I also think that he was a part of this because he could have been a part of the cover up. Oh, definitely. And all these oh, other suspects were just like normal guys. Yeah. Um, so do we all think that it's George Hodel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the only one I talked about, but <laughs> But I kind of think we all are pretty sold on that because I really don't think it's the guy who had the alibi yeah i don't either and um i didn't dive any further because um i was doing some other important things like i'm building uh our website oh what yeah i'm getting a domain yeah i was on vacation so i didn't get to do i didn't have service i also didn't want service (laughs) i said a couple of things to you um, mainly just to confirm that we were doing the podcast tonight, and um, then I went ahead and uh, didn't bother you because you were on vacation. Yeah. It's a nice little getaway in the mountains. Yeah, <laughs> your dog, RC, looked like he had the time of his life. 
Oh my god, he did. I didn't think he could a rock scramble with Huss, and he did it. He did it. I'm so proud of him. Oh, <laughs> oh, hell <laughs> dog. Yeah. <laughs> He's so cute. So, guys, I have a story to tell real quick. Ooh. Tell. So, so um, Morgan knows that uh, my boyfriend is awkwardly hilarious sometimes. And uh, <laughs> I'm just going to tell a short little story about that because we've talked about him on the podcast before. So, we're laying in bed the other night, right? And um, he turns to me and says... How do you feel about sleeping on a couch? (laughs) And I look at him and said, not very good. (laughs) Because I'm thinking he wants me to sleep on the couch tonight for some reason. And that would mean fighting for the couch with a hound dog and hearing his best friend snoring on the other couch. So that's not romantic at all. No. Um, <laughs> and then I, I expressed this to him and he says, oh, you're right. I didn't word that right. I meant because the sooner you're comfortable sleeping on a couch, the sooner we can go to Albany so I can introduce you to all my college friends. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you worded that so wrong. But oh. Yeah. <laughs> Tell him to get you a hotel where you can sleep in a bed. <laughs> I mean, I'm willing to, like, he would just crash with them, but I'm willing to pay for a hotel. That's fine. <laughs> I'm like, even if it's like a Super 8, that's better than sleeping on a couch, but. Yeah, with a bunch of college dudes. Or I guess they're not in college anymore, but a bunch no, of dudes. No, they're, like, a couple of them are geologists. Oh, cool. They like rocks. Yes. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> but yeah, um, I just thought that was hilarious because I had just told Morgan another funny story that I can't say on air. Yeah, how romantic. <laughs> yes. He's, no, all uh, the he's, stories are so romantic. He's got away with words, this one. <laughs> but uh, it's like, um, it's like if you just know him, then it is oddly romantic, if that makes any sense. <laughs> He, uh, you know, he tries. He's, <laughs> I, I love him for who he is. <laughs> I love him because he's your IT specialist. Yes. <laughs> he has kept the podcast going a couple of times. He has. He's working behind the scenes. Yes. Shout out to your lover boy. <laughs> <laughs> what? 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 Um, <laughs> uh, so, um, I thought I'd start our roundtable talk. So, I've been binge rewatching The Office, as I kind of previously mentioned. Um, I got so psyched because there's this episode where Jim and Pam go to stay at um, Dwight's farmhouse for a night, and. <sighs> They hear Dwight crying, so Jim goes to check on him, and when he goes into the room, for a split second, you can see a poster on the wall, and it's a Megadeth poster. What? And they're my favorite band. 
I, I like paused it and took a picture and posted it to Instagram and was like, it's Dave Mustaine. It's blurred, but it's totally him. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I'm a nerd. So you've been <laughs> watching thrash... The Office? No, I'm a thrash metal nerd. I mean, I was watching The Office, but yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> so, uh, Morgan. Or actually, Morgan kind of just said she was on vacation, so we know what she's been up to. Um, Katie. Yeah, hot tub under the stars and petting. I mean, the wild ponies were petting us. We didn't pet them. They pet us. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yay. You had that up, that same. Um, I imagine it was probably much warmer when you were in the hot tub under the stars. Oh, it was like 20 degrees outside. Oh, okay. So it was around the same temperature that I was in the hot tub under the stars. Then. Yeah, it was like 20 or 30, I think, up there because we were in the mountains. So it was pretty cold. Well, the night that we were out, it was so cold that the parts of Mark's hair that got in the water froze when they got out of the oh water. Oh, my God. No, that's way colder. Maybe mine was in the 30s. <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> Mark's like, oh, my hair, my hair is icicles now. Great. <laughs> yeah, no, not that cold. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, so Katie, tell us about your Instagram account, The Haunted Outfit. Sure. So, you know, I'm also a child of the 90s, and I was really bored over quarantine and decided to reread a lot of those old books that we used to love as, like, 90s teens, like Fear Street and Christopher Pike and um, other, like, point horror books. And, um, you know, I just kind of started noticing that they would have these crazy 90s outfit descriptions in them. And so I was like, I'm starting a creative project where I just kind of draw the outfits that are described in these um, 90s books. But it gives me an excuse to read all these R.L. Stein books that are so crazy. Wow, that's and, so awesome. Yeah, and I've met like a lot of Instagram friends who are also into Fear Street and stuff. So it's been like a fun little creative project <laughs> yeah i was i don't remember what i was looking up but i stumbled across your instagram account and i got so excited because it was such a blast from the past so <laughs> so here's how i got into reading fear street i was so my sixth grade history teacher i had known her before she was my teacher because her daughter and my eldest or my middle sister played soccer together. So she had just known me as the like, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Not pretentious, but <laughs> <laughs> precocious, precocious um, as the precocious kid on the sidelines. And um, so we already had a relationship um, when she became my teacher. And when I expressed interest in these books, she said, you can have all of Aaron's. That's her daughter. Because Aaron's like 20 by this point. <laughs> oh, that's cool. She gave you all the books? She gave me all of them. Oh, I bet Aaron was pretty pissed. <laughs> no, Aaron was like an adult and had left them behind at home. <laughs> she probably yeah, curses because... you now in her older age when she has kids. And she's like, God damn it, I want to give those to my kid. 
Um, Aaron, if you're interested in getting them, I donated them to the Clinton Public Library. (laughs) (laughs) So you can't be that mad at me. I did a good deed. (laughs) They have a good home. (laughs) They do. I'm sure they're well loved. You know what? That's what it is. The first I read the first one from the library. I found it at the library. And then my teacher when I told her, when I, I guess when I had it in the classroom, she's like, you can have all these. And I was like, oh, you're my favorite teacher now. See, my my brother had all of those books. Um, you're great. Yeah, he had all, all R.L. Stein, like everything, like boxes and boxes at the end of it. So I started reading them after he did because he was older than me. But I think there was one, there was a story about somebody in an attic I don't know which Maybe one that talking one. Maybe about the secret bedroom. <laughs> I think which that is about one... uh, a ghost girl that lives in the attic. But probably a lot of them take place in attics, I would think. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the ghost girl because that one creeped me out. Yeah, that one was pretty scary. I read I reread that one last summer too. And as a grown up, I have to say. It was pretty scary. Yeah, Some of them are not scary at all. <laughs> that's the one that freaked me out the most because we also had like a an attic and like there was like a like a pull door, like a pull down door or whatever. And after I read that, I hated going in the attic because I was like, oh, my God, there's going to be something <laughs> up here like watching me. Always thought I was getting watched when I was up there. <laughs> I don't I don't want to be this girl, but it's sadly true. I was already jaded from way scarier horror movies at the time. (laughs) Like, sadly, those books never scared me. Oh, they scared me. That one did. Yeah, that's what a lot of people say. They're like, no, I was just reading Stephen King when I was in middle school. And I was like, oh, I guess I was underdeveloped or something. (laughs) Yeah, I read Carrie when I was 10. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was reading The Fear Street when I was probably, like, 9 or 10. I got into Fear Street when I was 12, but um, I still enjoyed them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. That's so cool. So you make the outfits? Yeah, because I was, like, I kind of want to practice drawing, and this is, like, kind of like a little prompt like if I if I come across a crazy outfit, then I try to draw it, and I feel like my drawing skills have improved. So in a way, it's been like educational, in yeah. addition to <laughs> filling my time up for the past year. <laughs> so that's so cool. Yeah. Right? Are you gonna um, do any other books? Um. Yeah, maybe I'll get through all the Fear Street books and then I'll start doing like Sweet Valley High or something else that is era appropriate. Oh, oh my <laughs> god, the great. the fucking babysitters club. Those yeah. sweatshirts. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. The big exactly. scrunchies. Great nineties <laughs> outfits to draw. <laughs> yeah. uh, Who knows um, when we'll get back to normal life? <laughs> I, we may never get back fully. I'm 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 hoping for good things to come in the future. I would also like that more. Keep keep the faith, guys. Keep the faith. (laughs) It's okay. We're all okay, okay? 
Uh, <laughs> Katie, what is your favorite Fear Street novel? Um, I really like, there's a trilogy um, about evil cheerleaders. Oh and, my god, that's great. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. and I think those are my favorite. They're super scary, and they're actually like really well written. You can kind of tell when R.L. Stein wrote it in like a weekend, and when he actually took time to put a good plot together. <laughs> and with those, <laughs> he definitely put a good plot together. Um, yeah, I recommend the Cheerleaders trilogy if anybody is interested. Wait, what? I'm looking it up. The Cheerleaders? Yeah. Oh, okay. It's the like trilogy? the first. Yeah, it's right. called like Cheerleaders, the first evil Cheerleaders, the second yes. evil. That's exactly what like they're that. called. Yeah. yeah. It's the first evil, the second evil, and the third evil, I think. Yeah. Um, so those are super good. I also like Silent Night, as we discussed, because I love Riva Dalby's character. Um, She's just so mean. Um, yeah, there's a lot of winners. <laughs> My favorite is Bad Dreams. Oh, yeah. Bad Dreams is a really good one. That yeah. has, like, the most iconic cover, I think. Yeah, the two girls in the white nightgowns, like, clutching each other in fear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, that- I remember that. Oh my God, this is awakening like uh, tr- parts of my childhood. Yeah, I may need to go to therapy. Lean, <laughs> lean into it, Morgan. Lean into it. Oh, the trauma. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I remember that. Wow. Oh my God, I need to reread these. I was gonna say, do you happen to remember one well enough to call it your favorite? I would say the one that scared me the most. The attic one, the whatever that one. Bedroom. Yeah, the secret bedroom. I think that one was my favorite. Okay, okay. Secret bedroom. I might need to jog my memory on that one more. Yeah, it's like don't shoot it at night. You'll be too scared. Yeah, she hears like footsteps above her or something, and she's like, "What's that?" And her mom's like, "Oh, it's probably nothing." And she's like, "Ah, I don't believe you." And she discovers that there's like some girl that's been murdered in the house and her ghost is living up there or something. I don't remember. Leah Carson can't believe it when her family moves into a creepy old house on Fear Street. Most creepy of all is the secret room up in the attic. The room has been locked and boarded up for at least a hundred years. A murder was committed that in that room. The story goes and it has been closed up ever since. Leah knows she should stay away, but she thinks she hears footsteps inside the secret room and voices. Someone or something is waiting for Leah in there. Should she open the door? (laughs) Yeah, she she should. No, she can't. (laughs) (laughs) That's the uh, Goodreads description. That is is scary. It's when, like, ghost life meets, like, real life, and they combine, and it's, like, spooky time in Spookyville on Fear Street. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And there were some other ones that were really good. I want to say they were, like, Legacy of Fear Street or something. Yeah. Fear Street Saga. Yeah, the sagas kind of explore the history of Fear Street, so um, the rumor has it that 
this guy named Simon Fear was like this evil man, killed a bunch of his family members. And um, he's kind of the reason that Fear Street's cursed and all this bad stuff happens on Fear Street. So with the sagas, it explores the historical aspect of the Fear family. (laughs) (laughs) So if you get super into it, go down there. I haven't even gotten to those yet. They sound kind of boring. (laughs) <laughs> no, they're wild. There's like Salem witchcraft stuff, I think. Oh yeah, that's true. There's a lot of witches. It's good. I loved those three. I thoroughly enjoyed them. What's, okay, cool. I'm gonna put them on the list. What's the um so the Arl Stein, uh the one he wrote later, like I guess I think I was probably in like ninth or tenth grade when it came out. It's called like two thousand Three, two thousand four, somewhere around there. Uh, crap. It it there's like short stories in it. It's one collection of stories, and there's one where the kids break into the pumpkin patch, and the Ooh, pumpkin patch is alive. Ooh, that sounds spooky. It was for oh. teens. I don't fucking um, beware. I don't know. Don't turn out the lights? No, it's like a collection of short stories for older people. It probably nightmare came out... Nightmare Hour? Was it Nightmare Hour? I think I'm, it was I'm Nightmare I'm literally listing off the... Um... I think it was Nightmare Hour. Okay. That came out I'll in think. 2000. Yeah, so... I, oh, maybe I was in like 6th grade. <laughs> maybe I was... Yeah, Pumpkinhead and shit. sorry i give really terrible (laughs) descriptions (laughs) but that okay yeah i was probably i think i was in like sixth grade when i read that and it scared me yeah fair enough i've never read that one i used to read like easy books or like you know easier to read books with uh music playing so I could pay attention to the book. And <laughs> I don't know why I would do that. I guess like ADHD or something. But that book reminds me of uh, Nine Inch Nails. I was like listening to oh what was it I think it was the pretty hate machine or the fragile I don't know I was listening to the downward spiral which I probably shouldn't have been listening to that oh the nine inch nails album yeah I was listening to that on my Walkman over and over and over (laughs) while I read that book and when I see the closer on it yeah I think I think it's closer on that one no Downward like hole? Yes. Downward nice. spiral? Yes. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what. Sorry. Anyway. <laughs> Closer's on that one. Okay. Okay. I knew one <laughs> of them was on there. Not head like a hole. Closer. I thought it was closer. I can guess yeah. myself because you said no. <laughs> yeah, because that's the... Uh, that's the album that they he released Trent Reznor whenever he was working on the Natural Born Killers um soundtrack too. Yeah. 
He's been working on soundtracks for a long time. Yeah, he's done a lot of really great soundtracks. He did the soundtrack for Gone Girl. He's he's done a lot. I can't mm-hmm. even. I don't know. There's only two I can name off the top of my head, but I know he's done more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, I need well, to read guys, these books again. Jesus. Absolutely. So, in April, we'll be doing a Just Me and Morgan episode on The Dentist. Are we? That's yeah. it? <laughs> well, we're going to do something else in April, too, but that's the only one we have planned right now. I'm, I'm just kidding. It takes me, like, three days to reply to sex, so I can't. <laughs> that's true. Um, Sorry. That's, that's true. You know, um, lots of people are that bad. Um, I will text Mark something that is what I consider to be urgent, and he will see it later when he's home. (laughs) (laughs) But it's fine. Um, That's like me. I just leave my phone everywhere. And half the time I'm wearing my smartwatch, but my phone is somewhere else, so my smartwatch doesn't get the messages either because it's so far away. Mark leaves his phone in the bathroom all the time and under my pillow. I leave my phone everywhere. I I leave my phone a lot of places, but because I'm always, like, waiting for replies from guests or um, people for uh, ads and shit, then I need to have it near me, you know? I just to avoid phone calls. Oh, nobody calls me. (laughs) Yeah, like, (laughs) since I'm looking... So people could call me from different numbers to ask me to come in. So if I don't ever answer my phone, then I don't ever have to go in when I'm not scheduled. (laughs) Hey, hey, I totally get it. Um, I've done that before. In fact, I once gave a restaurant. (laughs) I once gave a restaurant I worked for my phone number, but one number off. Oh, man. (laughs) You're really... Really yeah. That. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was not going to work anyone else's shift. <laughs> uh, and, and I know that that's frowned upon in the restaurant industry. And that's why I gave them the right number. Wink. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was Longhorn Steakhouse. <laughs> 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 that job just about killed me. Put them on blast. Does it it's exist? It's really anymore? not cool to be paid like two ninety five an hour. Yeah, yeah, that's like when I worked for another steakhouse, um, and I went off on my old manager. I don't know. I I made a public scene. And then when I noticed people were still looking, I got louder. <laughs> oh, uh, it was yeah. like, it was so bad. Um, but all my coworkers like that worked with me at the steakhouse invited me to a keg party and they bought me a keg and were like, that was fucking red. And I was like, I think I have anger management problems. <laughs> <laughs> I just Maybe. cussed a woman out during the Sunday rush. <laughs> And I took off my shirt. <laughs> oh my God, Morgan. 
What? My explosion, my explosion <laughs> that I quit that job at Longhorn was also during the Sunday rush. Yeah, it was a Sunday rush. I was wanting to go to a music festival, and I said the only way I will take this job is if you ha- let me have these three days off. And they said, okay, we agree to that. And the owner of the restaurant agreed to it. And then when the time came, she posted the schedule. And those three days, I was working. And the rest of the days, I was off. And I was like, haha, I think I think this is a mistake. And she was like, no, it's right. You don't get those days off. And, it, and I was like, but I took this job. Like, I gave you guys notice when I like took the job that I would take the job if you gave me these days off and you said yes she was like well it's not my problem now it's your problem and I lost it <laughs> cause like they fired my coworker for uh they scheduled her to work on her own fucking wedding day what, what? <laughs> yeah oh, that's why you just quit that job and then another guy got scheduled. Uh, he had court, and they scheduled him on that day and had the other two days off. He ended up throwing a, uh, an entire, you know, those little sets where, if you've ever worked in the restaurant where all the cups go on to be put in the dishwasher. Yes. Like the, like the egg carton kind of looking thing. He smashed one of those in the middle of the kitchen when he looked at the... Uh, the schedule. He dropped it. Said, "Fuck this place. I'm out." And he took off his his apron and left. I was like, "Shit, that guy's a like a rock star." And then when I looked at the schedule, the next time it was posted, I was the one who went off. <laughs> I've never told someone seriously get the fuck out of my face, like with the the hand motion from your face to their face. But I did it with her, and the Sunday crowd was watching. I screamed so loud. (laughs) (laughs) And she was like, well, you're going to have to give me your shirt. Because I was, like, wearing their shirt. And I took it off in the middle of the restaurant and threw it out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's when I was like, I have anger problems. (laughs) Damn, Yeah. I was a legend, though, for a little bit. Uh, I had a similar thing happen. Um, I'll tell you the Grant's Kitchen story <laughs> and the Longhorn story. Please don't sue me, you guys. This yeah, is I didn't the- name the big steakhouse that's everywhere that makes you dance whose sexist, apologies, uh, sexist policies make the women dance, but the men don't have to dance while you're serving <laughs> people. If you know where I'm talking about, they teach you how to line dance. Well, here's the thing. Oh, I know what you're talking about. I hate um, that place. I don't blame <laughs> you for hating that place. Um, the reason why I said Longhorn and, you know, said which one it was is because um, what happened there was really just me not being able to keep up with what they were trying to make me do. It wasn't really like saying anything ill of them necessarily because other people worked out fine. I'm just not cut out to be a, a waitress like that. Um, basically what happened on that Sunday morning, um, I had only been working there for like maybe three weeks. It's my first time ever being that kind of waitress. I had worked in like, 
um, sit down fast food type places or, you know, just like a like cafeteria places, places where the customers do half the work for you, kind of. <laughs> I had never had to take people's orders like that, you know. They could just point to the food and I'd plop it on their plate. <laughs> and then I also had worked at like CeCe's Pizza, which was also a buffet. So you literally just hand them like a cup and then they go grab their own plate and pick their own stuff. So this Longhorn was the first time I had ever done like serious waitressing and I'm just not cut out for that. Um, for, for one, um, my body broke out in full heat rash. Oh my God. Yeah, because um, they had us wear, like, long, um, dark jeans or black pants and long, um, black button-up shirts. Oh, your, your skin's so sensitive. It really is, though. Like, yeah, I it break, is. Yeah. I know uh, your skin. Exactly. Yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> uh, yeah, my skin's super sensitive. Um, I can't really even wear mascara anymore or makeup in general because uh, my face just freaks out. And that's fine because I'm too lazy to put on makeup anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be real. I'd rather just walk out the door. My face is my face. If you don't like it, fuck off. Um. That's that's the way I feel about it. I love um, your face. Thank you. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway, so um, basically it was Sunday and a three top hit me at once. Mm. Well, I, so like three tables were set all at the same time and they were like in the barish area, but not actually on the bar, not, not like stools, you know. Um, and these particular tables are much higher than the ones in the rest of the restaurant. Like. Oh, it's the high tops. Oh, yeah. The high tops and this particular restaurant were up to my nose. No. I'm oh. four nine. <laughs> I'm a tiny little lady. And when I saw that, all these were seated at once and they were full. All of them were like four people at each table. And Longhorn, um, when you order a meal, that they come with a salad. And they give you a timer that gives you like two minutes from the moment. Um, oh, yeah, that they order. Yes. And uh, yeah. when you're supposed to bring them their salads back. So I'm like, I'm supposed to bring 16 salads back at once. 12, sal 12 salads back at once. My bad. Um, and then, so you would think that the, uh, fuck, I can't remember what they're called. The people whose entire job is to just help the uh, the swamped waitresses. Plus boys? No. There's a name for it. I just can't Floaters? Think. Yes, a floater. Thank you. Um, the floater was already helping someone else who had like a 20 top or something like that. Like, a bunch of tables pushed together for a party. So, I was low priority. And, um, there weren't any salads made. Oh, God. On a Sunday rush? Mm-hmm. Like, they were all out that fast. And they they made you use the timer on Sunday? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. See, that's, brand... like, that's psychotic. To make people like robots. 
It was the brand new Longhorn in a very uppity part of town that, or part of Mississippi that you lived nearby. I think you know the one I'm talking about. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, um, it was that one. So they had something to prove, you know? Yeah, no, that's such bullshit. I hate that with the timers and stuff. Like, um, several places where I work, they do that. Yeah, uh, I had a full-on panic attack to the point where I was near puking. Yeah, I don't fucking blame you. And I, the rash got worse, and I just took my um, floor manager <laughs> to the back room and said, I can't do this. I hate to leave you high and dry, but I'm leaving this minute. <laughs> Peace out. Getting in my car and leaving. I expect my paycheck in the mail. Yeah, no. The, the, the way they expect, like, you know, restaurant owners or, you know, like, corporate restaurant owners, like, how they do their business model is pretty fucked up. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's so fucked. I hated working for corporate restaurants. I've only worked for one, I think, and that was the... The uh, place where they make you dance for two fifty an hour. I've worked for several corporate places. Restaurants? The... Yeah. I've worked for CeCe's Pizza. I've worked for oh, McAllister's. Well, re- well, restaurant, restaurant. Like, like Longhorn. Oh, McAllister's um, is a deli. The other okay. one is pizza behind the counter. Well, all right. Like, well, fine. They're restaurants still, Morgan. Yeah, I know, they're just, but they're not. You I don't know, call I, yourself a waitress at CC's Pizza. I know. All I said was <laughs> I've worked at several restaurants. I only I said earlier that I've only worked for one uh, waitressing one, and it broke me, and I vowed never to do it again. And yeah, I just like the story. <laughs> yeah, no, that's how they do it at corporate restaurants, like where you're waiting tables. They have the timers. They have all these things that you have to meet. It's just. It's fucked up. It's fucked up. It's painful and redonkulous, and that's why I tended to work at corporate places that were like buffets, like um, yeah. And uh, another one that I worked at that was short-lived um, was Pie Five. It was a restaurant owned by the people who own Applebee's, and they had a superpower oven that cooked uh, personal pan pizzas in five minutes. What? <laughs> yeah, I want one of those. <laughs> they were really good, actually. I'm sad that it closed. It was over there in Dogwood. I know what you're talking about. Where you get to choose your your toppings or whatever. Yeah, you get to choose your toppings. It moves down. You have the option to add a brownie and a drink or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. We I worked- had one near us, but it just closed down not too long ago. Yeah, I worked at the flagship one in Flowood. I helped open it. Oh, that's cool. I helped open the Longhorn, too. I will say that if you're going to work at a job, that's the best time to do it. Um, I've helped open three different restaurants. (laughs) And it's super fun because you get a lot of free food at the beginning. (laughs) See, I want to open my own restaurants so I can be my own boss. Um, I wouldn't even do it then because I've vowed to never work at restaurants again. They're very stressful. Yeah, they are. And you don't, don't get, your life. And you often don't get paid enough. So. Yeah. 
And I'm not really a people person, to be completely honest. I don't know why I worked in that industry for so long. I think it's because I'm a good actress. I can pretend to be nice to you. (laughs) (laughs) I have my own thoughts behind my smile. (laughs) Yeah, I'm really glad that we wear masks now. Yeah, right? I could be frowning at you and you won't even know. (laughs) Yeah, just smile with your eyes and scowl with your face. (laughs) That's like a sarcastic face. (laughs) I'm making a really weird face right now. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. On that hilarious note, I think we're probably going to wrap it up. Tune in next time for The Dentist versus i have to look up the guy's name sorry (laughs) yeah i have no idea so i can't help you um i we talked about it on the last episode a little bit Um, i blacked out i don't remember any of it (laughs) (laughs) have you not gone back and listened to the episode i did but i blacked out for that too i'm just i just live in a blackout yeah (laughs) I never know what I do. I come home from work. I'm like, I'm in scrubs. What? (laughs) (laughs) I'm a nurse. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. No, I really. (laughs) I remember us talking about it, but I don't remember the dude because I didn't know about this killer anyway. All right. Yes. Well, remember, I'm the one who stays up sometimes to five in the morning, like last night. (laughs) And and, uh, (laughs) I just comb through different cases and look and see if there's been any kind of adaptation to it film-wise, even if it's like a TV movie. And then I just see ones where the crime's interesting enough to me. And uh, that's how the episodes come to us, mostly. I like it. Who's yeah? Her versus who or whom? Wait, what? Oh, I'm yeah. I'm I'm, I'm the trying dentist. to get this. Glennon Engelman. Who the fuck is that? Glennon Engelman. Mm-hmm. Glennon. He was a hitman. Glennon. Yeah, Sounds like a like a town in Ireland. Glennon. <laughs> Glennon. <laughs> Oh, you won't go to Glennon. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That, we both just sounded really British. <laughs> um, Aaron, if you're listening, we apologize. He's our English. I mean, he's our Irish friend. I'm so sorry. It's the pot, Aaron. I'm sorry. I I, I googled Glennon, and there's a guy named Anthony Glennon who plays for Liverpool, and I don't know who he is. Look at you figuring <laughs> shit out. Definitely an Irish name. Uh, 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 I can't find this killer, but I believe you that he exists. Are you spelling the name right? I have no idea. It's G-L-E-N-N-O-N-E-N-G-L-E-M-A-N. Oh, I said England. <laughs> 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 Oi. <laughs> oh, I see him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> On that note, look Sorry. forward to us breaking down this case 
and the dentist next time. <laughs> Later. Bye. Thank you. Yes. Thanks for coming. We really enjoyed having you on. Everybody go check out The Haunted Outfit on Instagram. Thank you so much. That was so fun and scary. <laughs> Yay. I'm glad. <laughs> Until next time. Until next time. Goodbye. On a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at fifty dollars, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and three hundred and sixty-five day returns.